Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Ajlene. And I'm Gracie. And this is a podcast where we talk about uh, movies and put them to the feminist tests. It's called the feminist... Fuck. I just messed it up. Someone didn't didn't do their vocal exercises. (sighs) Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Okay, there. Uh, It's called the feminist critique. See? There you go. There I go. Yep. And it is March. And it is Oscar month. So why are we doing... We're talking about... So why are we doing Oscar movies again? Because the Oscars were last Sunday. That's why. Oh, I do want to say, though, my snack today is Kraft Dinner in a Cup and raspberries. So if you hear me eating, that's what I'm eating this week. It's going to become a thing. I had a half a mind to make me some cookies and cream ice cream. Fun. I think I I think it should be a thing. That we each have a snack. Uh, well, anyway. March is Best Picture winners. And today, we're talking about one of the worst Best Picture winners ever. If not the worst. I hate this movie. What is this movie, Aisling? Um. Well, this week we are talking about Chicago. No, I mean <laughs> Crash. <laughs> We're talking about Crash. The 2004 movie by Paul... That won 2006 Oscars Best Picture. Which was really fucking weird. Yeah, see, here's the thing. The director of this film and writer of this film is Paul Haggis. Yeah. Uh, Paul Haggis worked on a film called Million Dollar Baby... And he won Best Original Screenplay for Million Dollar Baby. Million Dollar Baby came out after the limited release the limited release of Crash. Okay? Yeah. In 2005, Million Dollar Baby won Best Picture. No, actually, you're wrong. Million Dollar Baby won in 2004. And in 2005... That's when Crash won. Whatever. I just looked it, it up, matter. okay? 2006 okay, was well, The Departed. My web... my Okay. Whatever. The issue is, Crash came out before Million Dollar Baby. And yet, somehow, it won the Best Picture Oscar after Million Dollar Baby. Which means it should have never been there in the first place. Oh, yeah, you're right. It did release. It released in December 15th of 2004, which mm-hmm. was the year before. And then Crash released September 10th, 2004. But it was re- that was at the uh, Toronto Film Festival, the Toronto International Film Festival, TIFF. And it was released widely in the States May 6, 2005. That's why it got in on a technicality. Yeah. I don't care. I don't like this movie. <laughs> um, it had a budget of $6.5 million. Uh, U.S. box office was $54.58 million. Worldwide box office was $98.4 million. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you all the character names because you don't even hear their names in the movie. So I'm just going to tell you the actors. <laughs> there was a lot of famous actors in this movie. Um, there especially really for the time. was. Um, we've got Sandra Bullock, Don Cheadle, Brandon Fraser, Art Chabadala. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Michael I got to say Peter. something about Brandon Fraser. The mummy. The, no, this was the last movie where he actually looked like a decent human being. But turns oh, out, it, he. Well, we he just found out the reason that his career went off the rails is because somebody like sexually assaulted him or something, right? Mm. And he whistleblowed it or whatever, or he like told people, and, and that's they put him in the doghouse for it. Yeah, and that's why he was in that wow. furry vengeance or something. Oh, dear Jesus. We don't talk about that movie. That movie <laughs> oh. doesn't exist. Wasn't it? Brendan a- Fraser is a super fantastic actor, and for him to lose his career because he was, you know, someone that was open about shit that happened to him, fuck all y'all, okay? But, he was a really good actor. But the nice thing uh, that might happen with this, now that, you know, people are like, oh shit, that's what's happened, um... Maybe his career can kind of come back from that. Yeah, he did. Didn't he do that Tower Heist movie with uh, Ben Stiller? Mm. I'm sorry, which no, one? No, that was Matthew Broderick. My bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. Okay, so, yeah. Uh, Michael Pina is also in this movie. Ryan Philippe, Sean Taub, Ludacris. Tony what happened Danza. to Phili- Ryan Philippe too? Like Ryan Philippe did some amazing indie work. Okay, one of my favorite movies is Stop Loss, which has him and Channing Tatum in it. It's a really good movie, right? But it's like when he divorced Reese Witherspoon, <laughs> he he got the short end of the stick. I mean, obviously, somebody's a little bit more ex- successful than he is. Yeah. I mean, they were together a long time, so I was actually surprised when they broke up. Yeah. So, but, like, Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Philippe's daughter looks exactly like Reese Witherspoon. Hmm. It's fucking crazy. But, yeah, Ryan Philippe, uh, Tony Danza, Keith David, Matt Matt Dillon, Jennifer Esposito, and Terrence Howard. And that's not even everybody. That's just... (laughs) There was a lot of people of color in this movie, too, right? Yes, yes. Which, I mean, uh, is good, but then, you know, the what the movie is about and how people are treated in it is what we have to talk about because um, racism is definitely a real thing, but, like, I don't know about you, but I've never had an exchange like that or seen an exchange to that degree is it like gracie have you seen that in real life no and i live in the south yeah my thing is is like i i don't even know if we can really discuss plot because there really isn't a central plot to this movie it's just a whole bunch of coincidences that have kind of strung together you know well it's one like whatever the early 2000s had this weird thing of like you know, an ensemble cast of, like, a shit ton of people with, you know, overlying story lapses or something. The thing is, Love Actually actually has a central plot. This one doesn't even have a plot. It's just, like, character studies. Yeah. 
you know? Like, we can go by each individual character, and I feel like we would have a better idea of what's going on in this movie, because in the end, nothing really happens. I mean, you've got, you know, uh, the two black guys that are talking about how they should be more scared than anybody else around here, you know, because they're, like, decrying, you know, the awful racism that white people have on black people, and then they're also jacking cars and living up to the stereotype of being violent black men. Mm-hmm. And it was weird. This... I, there's a lot of weird in this movie. It's like every character is like some extreme version of a stereotype. Yeah. You will, <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. Like, it's so... I, this movie is so... Like, it was so hard for me to... Um, to, to keep up. Well, yeah, because it's just so fucking confusing. And, like, I was like, oh, that's an interesting plot point. Oh, I like these characters, but I hate these characters. But, like, I like this character. Oh, no, I hate this character. Like, what the fuck? Okay, well, I'm going to start off with a character that I liked consistently through the whole movie. And that was Michael Pina's character. He played Daniel, who was a Latino um, uh, locksmith. Yeah essentially. And he had a little girl and a wife, okay? Uh, he, You first meet him when he's changing the lock on Sandra Bullock's house. I don't remember her name. I think it was Jean. I'm just going, yeah, like I said, it was. I don't remember their names. So I'm going to call them by the actor. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, he's changing her locks, and uh, she says something to him, because she and her husband, who's a DA, just got robbed, you know, like, their car jacked. Yeah. And she said she wants the locks changed in the morning, because she didn't say anything when she saw those two black men, because that would be racist. Whatever. Anyway, Daniel goes home, and his daughter's scared, because they used to live in a really bad neighborhood, and she's scared that she's going to get shot. So there's this beautiful little scene where he gives her, like, this invisibility cloak that's impenetrable, you know? Like, nothing can get through it. And then you see him go to this uh, Persian man's shop and try to fix the lock, but he tells the guy, who doesn't really know any English, that, you know, you're going to have to fix the door, the lock's not going to do anything, and then there's a big, huge miscommunication because the Persian man doesn't know that much English. And so he thinks that the guy's jipping him. Yeah. And then... The next thing you know, he's getting off work, like, the Persian guy's shop gets robbed. And so this Persian guy decides that he's going to kill the man that ruined his livelihood, or thinks, you know. Yeah. Because insurance isn't going to pay for it. And then Daniel's coming home, and uh, the Persian guy gets out the car, and he comes over to him and starts pointing the gun at him, saying, you're going you're gonna to pay me back for all this. And then the little girl, who thinks she's invincible because she's wearing this invin- invincibility cloak, yeah. runs and, you know, puts herself in front of her dad just as the gun fires. Thank God the gun just had blanks in it. But then nobody calls the cops on the guy that nearly shot them. Well, well, exactly. There is that moment where, okay, like, 
out of all the parts of this movie, this is the movie that affected, or this was the part where it actually affected me. And I went, oh my God. I thought that baby was dead. Well, exactly. Like, we all thought it was, and I saw this movie like 10 years ago, right? So, like, I knew, but like, you know, and what I found was very interesting was instead of like, you know, the actually having the sound of, you know, somebody screaming, it went quiet. And that's what gets your attention in this movie is because it's so fucking quiet, but like the emotion on the guy's face because he thinks his daughter just got fucking shot. And then she tells him, don't worry, daddy, I protected you. Yeah. Thank fucking God. Yeah. And then they crawl back into the house and don't call the cops. Mm -hmm. And then the Persian guy walks home and tells his daughter that, you know... He was saved by an angel. Yeah. I was so confused. Well, exactly. Like, it was like, oh, okay. Um, Right? So, like, that's it. Daniel's storyline is literally ten minutes of the entire movie. And, and like, this is the best one. He's the most decent human being, and his daughter and his wife are the most decent human beings in this movie that have a name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, um, now to you know what I think we should just go character by character because it's so I'm much not easier that way. Yeah, because I am not going through every fucking scene of this fucking movie because it's just okay. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna start with um, well we we started with Daniel, but this is we're gonna go with Gene and uh, D. A. Rick. Cabot. Yeah. Right? So Sandra his name is Rick because that's his name in the mummy. Oh yeah, it is. Um so Sandra Bullock and Brand and Brendan Fraser. So um and Sandra Bullock is now an Oscar winner. Um and a Razzie winner. Look at her. In the same year. Um okay, so what happens is they go out to dinner some shit right and then they um uh they're coming home and uh or like they're on their way to their car and uh she sees you know two black guys in a rather white neighborhood rich neighborhood so she like grabs onto her husband a little bit more but doesn't say anything even though she's like you know suspicious or whatever and then they say something about that and then there's that moment where uh, they carjack them and steal their car and go running off. And, you know, the next part is she's at home. Um, her husband's dealing with the fact that, like, their car just got jacked by people. And, and he's the DA. Yeah, and that's kind of a big deal, right? So, but she's, like, she's all freaked out and, like, she's just, she's just angry for what happened and she's kind of blaming people of color for what happened and you can definitely see that with like the way she treats their housekeeper it's Mm -hmm. the the way she treats her housekeeper it's like she's not a sympathetic character she's just a fucking bitch like whatever the the housekeeper's name is like she just wants to do her fucking job you know and here's this here's miss rich whitey fucking bitch face being like why didn't she put the dishes away like fuck off gene 
it'd be nice if I came in here for coffee and the dishes were in the cabinet. And I'm like, what the fuck? Get a life. But then she's, like, trying to complain to her girlfriend or whatever about her problems. And she's like, I thought it was the incident, but I'm angry all the time. And it sounds like a you problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then, exactly. Like, she, she slips down the stairs, and the only person there to help her is the housekeeper that she's treated like shit the whole time. And then, like, it's later on, she's talking to her husband, who is, um, like, off doing whatever. He doesn't even really have much of a storyline. He has one scene... And that's right after they get carjacked, and he's basically, you know, saying, well, they're either going to think that I'm soft on crime, or it's going to turn into a black issue. Why did it have to be a black man that carjacked me? You know what we should do? We should performatively put a medal on a black guy. Who was, who was that fireman, you know, that, uh, that helped save those people or whatever, and then it turns out that the fireman's an Iraqi, which... In this scenario, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but at the time, this movie was filmed in 2004. This was a year after, uh, well, 2003, 2004 is when it was filmed, and this is a year after uh, Bush put troops in Iraq. So, yeah. So, and his name, good. and this particular person's name was Saddam, so it was like, oh, I'm going to yeah. put a medal on a guy named Saddam or whatever, right? So it was like, yeah, okay, fuck. Anyway, she trips so down the stairs, she's in bed, she's talking to her husband, and she's like, you know, my friends who I've been friends with, you know, none of them picked up their phone, and Carol was the only one home, and fucking Carol said that she couldn't because she was getting a massage, and it's like, uh, okay, I'm like, well, I wouldn't want to help you either if you treat all your friends like, you know, like that, right? And then she hugs the housekeeper, and she's like, you know, it's really sad, that you're my only friend and the housekeeper is probably just like bitch we ain't friends like at all you pay my bills you pay my bills and like (laughs) you are the fucking worst and i want to quit my job but i can't because the money's good and you know what the money might not even be good because that's what happens is people are stuck in low-wage uh, like jobs working for people who treat them like shit, but they can't quit because they need the fucking money to pay their fucking bills because the cost of living has gone up so fucking much. And, you know, you can't work at uh, McDonald's because even then it's... Sorry. I'm just... I'm fucking... I'm, this movie. This, this movie. This fucking movie. Um, yeah, okay. So... We've already gone through three different people's, you know, scenario, and each one is less than ten minutes long in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. This movie drags. Like, it is only an hour and 45 minutes long, but it drags. It feels like it's three hours because nothing happens. Yeah. And and people get so fucking mad in this, in this movie, and it's like... Like, I can understand being mad, but, like... For example, at the beginning where um, after the 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 two people get into the, like the crash, because that's that's the idea of this is it has something to do with cars and crashing into each other or whatever or like taking yeah, each other's okay. cars like to, to that's give you, yeah, to, to give you a kind of a clue of where the writer's head is. OK, the writer and director of this film, Paul Haggis. Yeah. He got the inspiration for this movie because he was carjacked. In 1991. 
this is the inspiration for this movie. Oh, by the way, and this guy is from Canada. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a Canadian talking about the American experience of racism. Yeah, Canadian. he's from fucking London, Ontario, for fuck's sakes. <sighs> Anyways. Just so you know, both of the writers for this film are white as fuck. Yeah, he created... Well, um, I guess I'm Bobby Moresco. That's who wrote this movie. He also created... Uh, his deal is, like, he created Due South, which was a pretty popular show about um, a constable from the RCMP going to Chicago, I think, and working there, and had Paul Gross in it, who... Paul Gross, like, for being a much older man, pretty fucking hot. Anyways, sorry. Woo! You're fine. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's their character. Yeah, so... <sighs> anyways. So, uh, I guess should we, we should go on to, like... <sighs> yeah. He's the fucking worst one in this movie. And then they make him fucking sympathetic, and it's like, I fuck off. Fuck off. Okay. Matt Dillon is a cop. Yeah. I don't know his name. I can't remember it. John Ryan. Two shits. Sergeant John Ryan. Sorry, I'm reading okay. it. Wikipedia. Cool. Whatevs. Whatever. Anyway, Matt Dillon uh, uh, is with his partner, who at the time is Ryan Philippe. And yeah. they just get um, a be on the lookout for a black SUV because that's the SUV that the DA was driving with his wife. And that's yeah. the one that got stolen. Yeah. So he sees an SUV that fits the description, but doesn't have the same license plate. And when he flashes a light in the car, he sees a woman that appears to be white, you know, coming up from the seat. Like she was, you know, giving fellatio to the driver. Yeah. And he flashes his lights and pulls them over. And doesn't tell them why he's pulled them over. He just asks for license and registration, and then he tells them to get out the car. And the wife, she is actually black, but she's, you know, in some cases, white passing, which is something that comes up when she and her husband have a fight later on. She's very light skin. Yeah, she is. So in certain lights, she's white passing, which is an issue with colorism in, in a lot of communities. Yeah. Um, but anyway... So they get out the car, and the Ryan Philip Ryan Felipe's uh, officer, he was like, "Listen, man, they're not doing anything wrong. Just leave them alone." Like, but Matt Dillon's cop was like, "No," and then the wife starts raising Kane because she's been drinking. She's not in the mood for this shit, and it's bullshit. And then he literally starts sexually assaulting her right in front of her husband. Yeah, he fingers her. Mm-hmm. And then he says, we could do this one of two ways. We can let you go with a warning after you apologize, or we can take your wife to jail for indecent exposure because she was sucking you off in the front seat. And so not wanting to see his wife go to jail and scared, scared shitless that they're going to get shot because it's L.A., mm-hmm. he apologizes, and then his wife gets super pissed about it. Yeah. You know? Like, 
I do believe her feelings were valid, but I also believe her husband's were valid because it's like that was a no-win situation. Yeah. And anyway, Matt Dillon's character, you find out um, that his dad is sick with something, and you never know what he's sick with. They don't. He he can't it. he can't pee. So they what they think is it might be is you know prostate cancer, right? So um, he wants because. <laughs> Here's another thing. Medical fucking system in the States is all fucked up, right? So they're part of, like, a network of doctors where he can only go and see these particular doctors. He can't go out of there. But the doctor who um, his dad has been seeing has um, has prescribed his father pills that don't seem to be working. So they're just kind of in that, you know, loop of um, his dad's suffering, not being able to take a fucking piss and being on the toilet, you know, all uh, all night. Not getting any sleep and all that. Yeah, yeah, and he's not getting sleep because he's there with his father. And so he calls HMO and he's talking with the woman and then, you know, he's like, well, I want to talk to your supervisor because he's not getting the right answers out of her or the answers that he wants, basically. He's petulant. Yeah. And she goes, well, my name is Shaniqua Johnson. And he's like, of course it fucking is. And then he hangs up. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you see him is when he's going to that same director and talking to her. And he <laughs> tells her that the only reason you have this job is because you're black. I'm sure that five white guys got, you know, pushed over for you. And just so you know, my dad employed nothing but black people when he had his shop. But then they did that affirmative action and then he lost all the people he was, you know, he lost all of his bids for contracting. And then he lost his his business and his job and his career and his life. And it's all because of you people. And I'm like, what the fuck? Okay, first of all, the thing about affirmative action that everybody gets fucking wrong is affirmative action when it first came out was helping white women, not people of color. Does. And it still does. It helps white women. Not people of color and people and then you get like these white dudes who get really fucking mad because of affirmative action. My dad gets pissed about this all the fucking time. And every time I have to. Well, I don't I don't explain it to him anymore because it is a waste of fucking time because he won't believe me. But it has been proven that affirmative action helps white women get jobs. Yep, because let's be real here. In the job market, a white man is going to get the job first and foremost almost, like, all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have affirmative action in play. And see, affirmative action is supposed to help minorities yeah. or people who do not dominate the workforce. The thing is, is because of affirmative action, white women are actually being... Um, more of the workforce than they were even two years ago. I think a recent study came out. So white affirmative action has helped white women. Black women and Latino women and Asian women, not not helping them, at least in America. It's not helping them. Not as much as it should. And people like to blame affirmative action for, like, colleges and shit, you know, because they have basically token slots. Yeah. You know. And this is a thing, like, but it's not the fault of the individual that they have to fight for one spot while you get to fight for a hundred. 
Yeah. You know? Like, you're going to complain about, you know, the two reserve spots for Asian American or black or Native American, you know, people at a college when you have a thousand seats to choose from. And, you know, it's basically you complaining because you don't have, you don't get to get by on being as mediocre as before. Yeah. This and, is like white privilege in action. And that's the thing. There are a lot of there are a lot of white dudes who are fucking mediocre who, you know, do the bare ass minimum and um and they, are get they praised. Deserve the world. Yeah. 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 <sighs> Anyways, so um, that's my thoughts about affirmative action whenever that shit bring, <laughs> comes up, because, uh, fuck you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Matt Dillon's character, then, when we next see him, he loses his partner, because Ryan Philippe decides that he's a racist piece of shit, and then he has, Ryan Philippe has to lie about, you know, everything, because the black cop in charge isn't gonna let some white kid undermine him. Um, you know, because he had to fight to where he was to get into that position. So he's going to protect the cops. There's a very huge protection the of thin blue line that's portrayed in this movie. Yeah. Um, um, so he ends up, Ryan Philippi's character has to um, say that uh, the reason why he wants on his own is because he has... uncontrollable flatulence which he gets made fun of for yeah but anyway matt dylan's got a new uh a new um partner and they come across this really horrific car wreck yeah and a car is on fire and there's gasoline dripping everywhere and matt dylan goes to the car that's turned over to try and help whoever's in there before the gas gets lit on fire and it's the woman that he sexually assaulted. Yeah, so obviously she wants him nowhere near her. Like, get the fuck away from me. Um, and he, like, I don't know if it's, like, supposed to be, like, a change of heart or some shit. I don't know. I don't know either, but... This is the moment that the movie gives the racist piece of shit cop a redemption arc. Yeah. At the expense of the woman he sexually assaulted. Yeah. Like, I don't fucking know. This makes no sense to me. Well, but we're supposed like this to movie. Feel... Well, this movie, like this part, was on the fucking cover of like the box. Like, the movie poster. Like, this is the part that, you know, I guess is supposed yeah. to be the central focus. I I just, I don't get it. Because I don't, I don't even really feel bad for him. Like, sucks for you that your dad's this way. I feel bad for your dad. <clears throat> I don't fucking feel bad for you. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> you know? But I'm supposed to feel bad. The movie makes the mood seem like I'm supposed to feel bad for this piece of shit. Well, it didn't work. No. He still sexually assaulted someone and he deserves to go to jail for that. It doesn't matter if he saved her life or not. He still sexually assaulted her. Like, fuck yeah. <laughs> so he ends up um, saving her and uh, it's like he pulls her out of the car 
right when uh, the car explodes, right? And cuts her seatbelt and the whole thing. And he's like, listen, I'm not going to touch you. I do need to reach across to get your seatbelt or whatever. And he like, I don't know, he pulls down her dress or whatever. Well, yeah, he asks for permission and then he pulls down her dress a little bit or something. I don't know. This movie would not fly now. Oh, God, no. People would be rioting Ugh. in the fucking streets. It didn't fly then. Well, I don't no. understand. I, well, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what the reception was back then because... Um, oh, God, I hate to admit this. Well, I looked I liked Amazon this. reviews. Well, that's the thing. I liked this movie when it came out, but I was also a stupid asshole. Like, this movie... Yeah, see, that's... Well, this movie came out when I was... When I was 16? And, like... I was pretty sheltered as a kid. Like, that's... I grew up on, you know, in a suburb. So, watching this movie, I was like, that's how the world is, I guess. Like, no. (laughs) I was pretty fucking naive. I think, like, I see a lot of that. I was looking on Amazon reviews because there were people giving this movie five stars. (laughs) I didn't understand. Well, well, that's the thing. Like, P- Roger People Ebert like, gave this a great glimpse. You know, it's a great glimpse into racism in America, and I'm like, not really. It's a whole bunch of stereotypical tropes that are tossed together like a salad, and you're hoping something sticks. Well, that's the thing. People liked this movie, right? And like, <laughs> Roger Ebert. Gave it four out of four stars, saying a movie of intense fascination. Like, people did like this movie. There was people who, you know, ranked this movie as, you know, one of the greatest films of all time. And it's, like, not. No. Not at all. I mean, this movie won an Oscar over Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm, which was a beautiful love story. And Capote, Capote, yeah. Capote was a great bio flick, right? I don't... I think the other two were Munich and um, a George Clooney film about the news, but I can't remember what it's called. But, like, Capote and Brokeback Mountain were the ones vying. Like, they were the front runners. Mm-hmm. okay? And this movie won... For some god-awful reason. Matt Dillon got an Oscar nomination for portraying that sexual assaulting piece of shit. Yeah. And he's on screen five minutes. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, more than five minutes, but still, like, not enough. Well, it's so funny because Paul Haggis, like, 2015, he, he did an interview and he said that he did not believe that the film deserved to win Best Picture. It didn't. Lasty fucking and the thing is like it won um it was nominated for six awards during the academy awards and it won three it won including two. it won three yeah including best picture it was best picture best original screenplay and uh best film editing oh a technical one that doesn't really count okay <laughs> Unless it's, like, a big, huge blockbuster. Yeah. Because, you know, like, Harry Potter movies and, like, the sound mixing and stuff, like, those are important to those kinds of movies. Like, the technical specs. 
Not really. The technical specs aren't that important to this film. Not really. No, but... <laughs> yeah, so, like, Good that's... the guy that won. <laughs> yeah, so this is, like, where this movie lies, being the fact that it should have... It should have been Brokeback Mountain. Ugh, I will forever hate this movie for that. I well, mean, Ang Lee won Best Director. But the, but that's and... the thing. I don't think it was technically... It wasn't this movie's fault. The thing was it, was, it was the Academy and homophobia. Because Brokeback Mountain is a beautiful story about two uh, gay lovers that ends tragically... And people made it out to be some sort of fucking joke because oh oh, two God, gay cowboys. Still broke back mountain jokes. There like, are still broke back mountain. Well, exactly. Jokes. You still like, people like that whole "I don't know how to quit you" line got turned into a joke, and I'm like, did you even watch the movie? It's so sad. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's two men who are grappling with the fact that they're living in the 1960s mm-hmm. and they're in love with each other and they're both married and they have kids and they have a life and they have to grapple with the fact that they don't love their wives the way they love each other. Yeah. And then one of them dies. Like, it's heart-wrenching. There's more character development in that movie. There's no character development in this film. No, like, exactly. no one has a character development at all. Not really. I mean, I guess Jean did because she realized that she's being a piece of shit. But, I mean, we don't know. This movie takes place over, like, three days. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. around Christmas time. Man, I need to, like... I need to watch Brokeback Mountain. Are we going to watch it in... It's in our LGBT month for June. Oh, okay. Awesome. Good. Yeah. Fucking yes. good. So I'm going to... I can't wait to watch that one again. Um, so I guess now we'll move on to... Like, Matt Dillon's character ends with him just helping his dad and being kind of pensive. Like, what the fuck ever. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> I think Don Cheetah's character is another one that is... Um... I guess, like, there's a lot of side characters in that. I mean, they're all kind of side characters, but... They're all side characters. um, He was, like, a main... Him and then, like, um, Ryan Phillippe's character, I would say, are... Because they they cross over. Yeah, so um, do you want to go with Ryan Phillippe or Don Cheetah's character first? Let's go with um, Don Cheetah's character first. He played Officer Graham... Mm-hmm. Um, and his main character story is that he is a senior officer on the force. He works in internal affairs, I think. Yeah. Um, and it starts off with him, uh, there's a shooting between two cops, and both of them work undercover. Yeah. And it's a white cop that shot a black cop. Yeah. And the whole thing is is that you know, they find out that the black cop actually was running drugs and stuff and it was actually a crooked cop, but the white cop had already shot and killed two black men before this. And so 
he's given an option of uh, another storyline is that um, you know his mom wants him to look for his brother because you know that that's a thing. It's a little confusing and muddled, but yeah, um, the mom is a drug addict and she has two sons, Don Cheadle and another character in the film. Yeah, and she wants him to find her bro- his brother, but he doesn't. Instead, he works, and then he, you know, sees that her groceries are empty, and he comes home, and he fills them up. Yeah. And his brother is a criminal, and he's talking to one of the DAs about, you know, the fact that the cop that was shot and killed was actually crooked. And they said, well, that's not a good PR thing. Like, what do you want to go with? Another crooked cop that's black because all you people are black because that's the perception well is that all black people are terrible and drug addicts but that's this okay so this kind of um points out to somewhat recent history with the l-a-p-d right and that is in the 90s there was a few crooked cops that were working with um, rappers slash, you know, uh, drug. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? It was on the dollop. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a four part series on the racism of the LAPD. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, it, oh boy, it, we're it, not going to get into that. No, but but there is, you know, like there is some overlying history there where um and it kind of ties into like how um I guess Tupac was killed or was it Biggie Smalls? It was uh, like Tupac was West Coast. Oh, okay. So it was it was Tupac. Like so this was like all tied in. I'm obviously I'm not going to go into it, but um, I think that's, that's kind why of where the theme came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, so Don Cheadle's character gets offered a choice. You can either say you can either go along with the DA who are going to prosecute the white cop that's killed three black men, or you're going to have your brother go to jail because he's on his third felony if he gets caught. And if he gets caught for a third time in California, they have a three-strike law. So if you commit three felonies, it doesn't matter what felonies they are, you go to jail for life on the third felony. Which is an incredibly racist um, law. Yeah, because there are men in prison in California right now who have only ever sold or smoked marijuana, and now marijuana is legal in California Mm -hmm. and there are men serving life sentences for that shit yeah predominantly black yeah so yeah laws in America are still racist do you think Jim Crow's over it's really not it's just not as overt as it used to be because drug laws and uh, mandatory minimums and shit like that that came out in the 80s and 90s were always of targeting black communities well, I mean, uh, wasn't the whole war on drugs basically targeting black communities? Because they, um, white people would do cocaine and cra- uh, black people would do crack or... Just so you know, those are the same exact drugs except one has more baking soda in it. Yeah, exactly, right? So, 
Um, one you snort, one you smoke. So Same this thing. was the, you know, hypothetically, you know, what people would think, right? That, you know, oh, crack babies and like she's a crack hoe or whatever, right? Um, or crack... the whole predators thing from Mrs. Clinton. Yeah, well, exactly. But that's the thing. It's the same fucking drug. But what yeah. makes one classier and then the other one not so classy is because who is using it? And that's... Exactly. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's just like that Whitney Houston interview where she talks about how she didn't do... Um crack because crack is whack okay well there was evidence that she had cocaine abuse same fucking drug mm-hmm. <laughs> poor Whitney Houston <sighs> but Rest anyways so what ends up happening um uh what what did is he he takes he takes the deal that he'll say that the white cop was just being a racist piece of shit and in the end, he will be the new uh, DA's assistant or something. Like, he's going to get a promotion. Yeah. And he gets a promotion and he protects his little brother. And now we're going to talk about his little brother. Yeah. So his brother um, is one of the... A, well, he's yeah. one of the 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 characters that uh, carjacked... Uh, Sandra Bullock and um, Brendan Fraser and uh, Ludacris is the other one. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it's uh, Lorenz Taint. Taint? Yeah. Um, Who is playing uh, the detective's younger brother. And um, he, so they they are stealing cars to bring to a chop shop so that they can get some money. And like, that's their deal. Um, so because they, um, with He's the- kind of like the moral, out of the two thieves, he has more, like, I don't know, more morality, because, like, he and Ludacris are in the car together, and then they hit, uh, a Chinese man. No, it, he was and, Korean. Or, he was what? He was Korean. Yeah, Korean, but they kept calling him a Chinese man. Well, then, yeah, that's know, like, like... Who the fuck calls somebody a Chinaman? Like, oh my fucking God. I don't know. The people yeah. that wrote this movie. <laughs> yeah, like... Oh my God. But, anyway... Uh, he's like, listen, we have to, you know, take this guy to the hospital. Like, sure... We hit him and everything, but we're already, you know, if we get caught, we've already got the, you know, theft charge. Do you want a murder charge, too? Mm-hmm. So they, uh, you know, drop the guy off, and then they, you know, try to sell the SUV, but because it has blood in it, the guy that does the chopping is like, no, nah, I don't want it. And um, one of the things that his character has is a uh, the patron saint of travelers in his pocket, like he's Catholic. Yeah, What's what was Saint, it, Saint Christopher? <laughs> yeah, I think Saint Christopher. Um, and he carries Saint Christopher with him everywhere. And Ludacris is like, that's so stupid. I don't know why you carry him with him everywhere. And... Anyway, they try to rob Terrence Howard's character, which is the producer who's married to the woman that got sexually assaulted. 
and um, then he manages to get away, and he hitches a ride with Ryan Philippe's character. And see, Ryan Philippe's character has been good the entire movie. He's had a conscience, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and well, exactly. He's really on edge because he had that horrible, like, the Terrence Howard scene is really intense, right? It's basically yeah. Terrence Howard begging to be shot by the cops. And he manages to de-escalate the situation. Um, yeah. And, um, anyway, so Ryan Philippe picks up the guy, you know, and he, like, there's, you know, at first it's, you know, nice, but then all of a sudden it kind of turns really intense. And then the next thing you know, like, the, the one guy starts laughing because he sees a St. Christopher on the dash of the guy's car. Uh, on Ryan Felipe's car. Yeah. And he starts laughing. And then Ryan Felipe thinks that, oh, you know, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You can get out of the fucking car because, like, I'm done. And then he reaches. What's his name? Um, He reaches for the his own statue of St. Christopher. Yeah. And when he does, he does it like, you know, I'm going to show you what I got because it. It looks like he could be reaching for a gun, right? And so Ryan Philippe gets his own gun and shoots him. And then as the blood's dripping out of the guy's face, he sees that it was the patron saint of travelers. And instead of calling his officers, his fellow officers, and reporting it, he dumps the guy's body in the middle of a field. Yeah. Like, in this instance, he would have probably been found justified, but he probably would have lost his job. Yeah. But he dumps the guy in the field, which is even more fucked up. And and then he he drives off. Yeah, and then he uh, lights his car on fire. So yeah, the most sympathetic cop in the movie ends up Killing an unarmed black man. Mm-hmm. And dumping his body in the road. Which yeah. just goes to show that everyone in this movie is a piece of shit. Except for Daniel. Yeah, Daniel's the only one. <laughs> He's the pure soul. We must protect him at all costs. He was my favorite <laughs> character. Everybody else. Could, well, because there's like other side characters or whatever. Like the, the man who got hit with the car... Um, and is in the hospital. His wife. Well, yeah, his wife comes in or whatever, and like she got into an accident beforehand, and like that moment or whatever, you're like, oh, that's so sweet. They're in so in love, and he's like, hey, I've got this check for you or whatever, right? Uh, and he's like, go cash the check, and she's like, okay, right? But then like the next part is the contents of his van, which. Uh, Anthony, stole. yeah, with Ludacris had stolen, and he brings it to the chop shop, and there's Cambodian immigrants uh, in the back, like all dirty and stuff, and, and it's chained up. Yeah, and the guy was involved with friggin' human trafficking, 
So the guy is, uh, the chop shop guy offers um, Ludacris $500 for each person, which he refuses out of disgust because, like, oh my fucking God. Slavery, bro. Yeah, exactly, right? And then he, like, loosens them all out in Chinatown and says, here's $40, go get some chop suey. Yeah. He's like, dopey fucking, you know, Chinaman. And they're like, oh my God. And like, uh, and then this movie. I'm supposed to feel happy that he did something decent, but I don't. This movie makes me feel dirty. And then like it, the movie ends right. Um, the movie ends with like one more car crash because it's all about like cars and crashes and stuff or whatever. And, and uh, HM, HMO lady. Yeah, it's Shaniqua Johnson. And another driver, you know, exchanging racist slurs with one another. And, like, I don't know, every single fucking point in this movie is, like, just hardcore racism that I'm like, okay, I don't, I see subtle racism quite often, or, like, you know, your parents making fucking stupid-ass racist jokes, which... You know, I or, always you know, like there are some people I know that are overtly racist. Well, exactly and right, I but call like call them out on it, but it's like one person that I know of that does this one, and I know a lot of people. Now, I don't know if what it's like for other people because this is my own experience and stuff that I see through my own eyes. I've never lived in L.A. I don't know what it's like there. I've never lived in New York. I don't know what it's like there, but. But I like I to believe, <laughs> yeah, I like to believe that there's way more good people out there that aren't fucking racist dicks. Yeah. Now, I have an Amazon review in front of me, which I think perfectly encapsulates this movie. Okay. Okay. This Amazon reviewer gave the movie two stars out of five. It starts with, I heard a lot of great buzz about Crash before it was released in the theaters. Here we were told, here we were told, was a smart film about racial and ethnic prejudice where the writer-director turns every stereotype on its head and refuses to cater to our expectations. Sounded like my type of film. So I finally bought the DVD, and I have to say, sadly, that the ambitious theme of a diverse urban group of characters loosely connected and only slightly developed showing their small-minded prejudices, biases, and ignorance, looks more like an essay than it does a film. A couple of thug carjackers lament racism while they brutalize human beings. A white, rich woman condescends to her Latina maid and doesn't trust a Latino locksmith. An African-American cop talks racist trash to his Latina girlfriend, making her a stereotype. A white gun salesman accuses a Persian family of being terrorists. A black husband argues with his black wife, whom he accuses comes from a family of too much privilege to understand his pain. A white cop hates an HMO supervisor, a black lady, whom he accuses of reaching her position through affirmative action, and on and on. This is really not a film, but an essay about tribalism. The reflex to allow fear to rule over intellect. But as a film, the drama consists of watching people hurt each other over and over relentlessly, usually 
usually pointlessly. Worse, the heavy-handed soundtrack full of tearful laments and wails tells us to be sad as if we weren't intelligent enough to know that people hurting and killing each other because of their ignorance and frustration is indeed sad. So in the absence of a real film, here's what you get. Lots of made-for-TV melodrama descends, descending into bathos, raw hatred, people screaming at each other, bombastic quasi-religious music telling you that sad, what sad emotion you should be coddling, lots of guns and chase scenes, people spewing racist venom, sentimentality. Here's what you don't get, a believable plot and nuanced characters. Exactly. My notes on it were that, um, you know, I don't consider in a film, there's no real central plot, uh, there's just a whole bunch of character studies, and you have all the potential in these great actors, because it is a movie full of great actors, but none of them get to show that potential. Yeah, I mean, would this have been better as a TV show? I mean, there was a TV show of it. But there was? Yeah, I didn't watch it because... I think it would have done better as a TV show or possibly as, like, um, a Mini limited series. series. Yeah. But, like, that's the thing. I feel like there would have needed to be a lot, like, better writing, too, because it, it just... The movie seems so unbelievable... Yeah, that's that's all I can really say. Like it's, <laughs> it's it's a, it's not a good movie. And the fact that it won Best Picture, like the Academy doesn't know fucking shit. Uh, now, I suppose we should get on to the tests. Oh God, fucking damn it! Okay. Surprisingly, it passes a lot of them. I, the Bechdel test, which is uh, two women who are named talking on screen about something other than a man. It happens in this movie. It happens when Jean and her maid are having a conversation about how they're best friends. Oh my fucking god. Okay. Racial Bechdel test. Two named black characters talking about something other than a white character. This happens. Yeah. Um, with uh, the two uh, gangbangers, and also with Don Chadell and his mother. Yeah. Um, sexy Lamp Test is the only one that fails, because you could literally get rid of Jennifer Esposito's character, and it would have no effect on what little plot there is. Yeah, which is really sad, because, like... She had five lines in the whole movie. But that's the thing. She would have been, like, if it was developed a bit more, like, she would have been a better, a fucking better character. Yeah. Um, the Macomori test is a woman who has a character arc that's not based on a man's, or helping a man's character arc along. I put pass with a question mark because nobody really has a character development except for Jean as far as the women. And she kind of learns that she's a piece of shit. So technical pass, not really, but technically. Yeah. 
Uh, Duvernay is black characters with motivations and a character arc not based on uh, developing a white character. This also happens. Um, so it passes that, and then the Furiosa test where, uh, you know, all-female remake of an all-male film that doesn't really count, so it's a N.A. So we have four pass, one fail. Yeah. But I don't think it's a feminist movie. No. No, that's the thing. <laughs> and I don't think it's a good movie either. No, I think it's inclusive. Definitely inclusive casting. Mm-hmm. Top notch. Yeah. You know? Very inclusive. There are more black characters in this film than white characters. There are more people of color in this film than white people. Love it. Very inclusive. That's about the only thing I liked about it. Well, I mean, it's a lot of stereotypes. A that's, lot of stereotypes. That's, that's exactly right. The only, like, it would be great if they were all well-developed and had, you know, plots that made sense and they don't. And it's just a terrible conglomerated mess. Mm-hmm. I'm not even a film critic, right? No. I'm an amateur I... film critic. But I, like, I don't understand. Well, I think, like, I'm pretty sure let, uh, Leslie Ellis, Lindsay, Lindsay Ellis, who, um, YouTuber, she's amazing. She does film theory and stuff. She actually went to school where we definitely did not. <laughs> um, so we're fucking idiots. She actually does go, I'm pretty sure she did do one about Crash, and she goes into, like, like really good fucking points about, you know, oh, no, she didn't talk about Crash. What she did was she talked about Oscar bait. But I think it was like a yeah. three-part series or some shit. Well, this is definitely a movie that hits all the points of Oscar bait. Yeah. names. Um, a lot of drama and sentimentality because there's, I don't think many comedies and definitely not many horror films um, have nominated, let alone one. All About Eve is technically a comedy. Yeah. That's like one example I don't know. I mean, the one that won this year, The Shape of Water, uh, that was like... It was a drama. It was a romance. Yeah, but it was still a drama. Romance is big. I mean, look at Titanic and Casablanca. Oh, no. The worst movie ever. You know which one. What one? Shakespeare in Love. Oh, shit. We're not doing that one. (laughs) We're not doing it. I fucking refuse, okay? That is, like, one of the worst films to ever win Best Picture, okay? It beat out Saving Private Ryan. You didn't like when she she spun around and had her her tits revealed or whatever? I don't know. This movie came out when I was 10. I wasn't watching it. It's so fucking dumb. Well, it's all you know. It's another movie that was awful that won Best Picture, Titanic. Like you rewatch yeah, that movie, that one, and it's that like that one did not age well. It's like ooh, no. Yeah, so here's the thing. I think we've made a point. Just because a movie wins a Best Picture Oscar does not mean it is a good movie, except to rich people that somehow think it is. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Sometimes uh, the people who are in the academy uh, are this thing called fucking sheltered from the real world. 
So they watch a movie and then they're like, oh, I like this movie, even though, you know, like. Oh, I think this, I think what this movie was is it's kind of like that white liberalism we talked about with Get Out. It's like kind of a performative pat on the back. Like, look, because the Academy up until like the last two years was like 90% white. Uh Uh-huh. As far as the voters. So but the, like, but that's the thing, like white broke... liberalism patting themselves on the back, going, "Look at us, we we see that racism exists." <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Brokeback Mountain should have fucking won. It should have. Yeah. So uh, that's it for this movie. <sighs> We're gonna do a much better movie next week. Which one's that again? Slumdog Millionaire. I haven't actually seen that movie. I love that movie. I love it so much. Like, it's somewhat unrealistic and unbelievable, but I don't fucking care. It's a good movie. So that one's going to be fun. Um, For contacting us, if you can't find the Facebook page, all you have to do is go at the Feminist Critique Podcast on Facebook, and it'll tag us. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're finally able to have a username now. For some reason, for the per- first couple of months, we couldn't, but now we can. Um, and you can contact me on Twitter at South of Grace. Uh, you can contact me on the, the Twitters, the the Tweeters. Uh, anyways, sorry, I'm like really <laughs> fucking tired. Um, Twitter, yeah, you can contact me or Instagram where you can see pictures of my cat. Uh, both of those are Ageline S. That's A I S L E N E S. Um, and then I guess on Facebook, but don't because I'll probably block you because I get enough of my fans and shit contacting me every so often. You laugh, but like I'm famous in a small town. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, um, I'd like to thank all my fans. It's so fucking stupid. Um, that's like thank God. You can't forget to thank God. I thank God too, even though I don't really believe in him, but like kind of do. But like, I'm not really sure what I believe in. I'm not super religious. You're one of those end logs that are like, I'm not super religious. I don't know. I like kind of believe spiritual. in crystals and shit, and like new age stuff and like sometimes I do Reiki and like I really like massages and like uh, uh, sucking dick okay valley girl (laughs) hey I said it like never mind okay um yeah you can also check me out on um my my work's website that's uh, kicks.fm um everything i said in this podcast my opinions do not reflect my employer uh so if you do like go on there please don't message them and be like do you see what your worker is doing what kind of opinion she has like they will legit be like uh, that has nothing to do with us so there's that yeah i want to keep my job listen to her yeah, you can still go and listen. I like actually like to talk about nice things. Um, like today I talked about the $10 bill in Canada, which is kind of a big deal because it is International Women's Day. But also we have the first woman of color on currency in Canada, and that is Viola Davis Desmond. Oh, my God. 
Viola Desmond, who was uh, an activist in the 1940s, um, kind of, they compare her to Rosa Parks, but uh, basically what happened was she went into a movie theater in... um, in Nova Scotia, and uh, she was only allowed to go to a certain place to watch the movie, but she didn't. She, you know, paid for the full price for the full price ticket, not because um, how it was was if you wanted to be on like the bottom, not in the the balcony, like only black people could go to the balcony, and like white people could go and watch the movie in like the gallery or whatever, and she paid she tried to pay for like you know a gallery seat but couldn't because she was black so she paid for the balcony seat but then went to the gallery to watch the movie anyways and they kicked her out of the theater despite her being a very prominent uh businesswoman in uh new glasgow nova scotia and um and she was charged she went to jail uh over this and it was a it was a civil rights um, situation in Canada because Canada's history is not that squeaky clean. We also have racism, a lot of it. Shocking! I know, crazy. Um, but oh, man, you'd think imperialism was a great idea. Yeah. So, anyways, that is kind of you know a big thing. Also, in Nova Scotia, we do have um, not that I live there anymore, but uh, in Near Halifax, there's a place called the Prestons, which is one of the largest black communities in Canada. And uh, they originally used to live in a place called Africaville. But uh, what ended up happening was uh, they made the Mackenzie Bridge. They kicked everybody out and then they had to go to the Prestons, which was quite far out of town. And yeah, so Nova Scotia's history is like really fucking dicey. So there's your history lesson for today. I've talked way too long. I don't know. I guess it was interesting, though. Well, good. That's awesome. Yeah. Not Um, exactly funny. It's it's no iced tea ranting, but you know, (laughs) can you do? Um. So yeah, I guess that's gonna wrap it up for this week. We've already gave you all of our information, and (laughs) we will see you guys next week with Slumdog Millionaire. And even though Aisling hates it, we're going to do Sound of Music or Casablanca at the end of the month. I just haven't decided which one to torture her with yet. Um, either or. <laughs> Actually, like, I don't mind either or. Uh, either, I mean, they'd be good. Um, I kind of like the idea of Casablanca just because it, it would be the old... Oh, there's fucking somebody here. What the fuck? Who is it? Oh, it's the new girl. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Just wait a sec. Um, so I just had like a 20 minute conversation with um, with the new girl uh, and poor Gracie was left here for quite some time. That's, so that's cool. Um, sorry. But yeah, so Casablanca or Sound of Music, both of which are two of my favorite films. And I haven't decided which one we're going to do yet. Uh, yeah, let's do Casablanca or Sound of Music. I don't care. Whatever. Anyways, um, we're actually going to go this time and I'm not going to waste Gracie's time anymore. I love you, Gracie. I'm so sorry.
It's okay. Okay. I forgive you. This time. (laughs) Anyways, I'll talk to you later. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Yep. See you guys. Bye.